Do not kill. Do not covet. Do not lie. Love your neighbor. Forgive. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All moral imperatives, all biblical. I have been especially thinking a lot about forgiveness lately. Of all the moral imperatives, not killing has mostly been easy for me. All the others uh, I've had to work on. I'm not perfect, but I am better than I used to be. But forgiveness is a different matter. It seems something I'm not very good at. Simon Wiesenthal, a Holocaust survivor, wrote a book called The Sunflower. I'm sure some of you have read it. In it, he tells his story about being summoned from his work detail at a concentration camp to the bedside of an SS officer who was dying. The SS officer wants to confess his crimes and, and obtain absolution from a Jew. Simon was faced with the choices between compassion and justice, silence and truth. The book goes on and surveys over 50 distinguished people for their responses to the two questions. Did Simon do the right thing? And what would they have done in his place? The book explores the possibilities and limits of forgiveness. The Irish Troubles was a conflict in Northern Ireland that broke out in the late 1960s, but were based on an issue from 1609. It lasted until the Good Friday Agreement of 1998. The Troubles primarily took place in Northern Ireland and spilled over into parts of the Republic of Ireland, England, and mainland Europe. The conflict had political, nationalistic, and religious dimensions. A key issue was the constitutional status of Northern Ireland. Union loyalists, Unionists and Loyalists, who were mostly Protestants, wanted Northern Ireland to remain within the United Kingdom. Irish Nationalists and Republicans, who were mostly Catholic, wanted Northern Ireland to leave the United Kingdom and join a united Ireland. Over the course of 30 years, nearly 4,000 people were killed in the most recent conflict, with bombings frequently the cause. There was also some very deep history involved in the conflict between the Catholics and Protestants from the early 1600s, having to do with land ownership and who had, uh, who, who were the rightful native people. So 400 years of conflict. Where does forgiveness begin here? The theologian, the theologian James Fowler, proposed a framework for spiritual development 
that he suggests mirrors the framework of other aspects of human development. He believes that spirituality is a basic human, is an aspect of human existence that develops in predictable ways, just as cognition or social behavior or motor, motor skills. Fowler does not define faith through any specific religion, but describes it as a particular way of relating to the universal and creating meaning. He proposes seven stages of development, primal or undifferentiated, intuitive, projective, mythic, literal, synthetic, conventional, reflective, conjunctive, and universalizing. The mythic literal stage is stage three, and Fowler says it is between the ages of six and 12, and that's about when children become more rational. This is the time in our lives in which information is organized into stories. These stories, along with moral rules, are understood literally and concretely. This is the age where children learn Bible stories, Aesop's fables, like the lion and the mouse, fairy tales, and Greek myths. Moral education begins with a basic examination of values, and the stories help in exercising and examining those shared values. Think of the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a good example of a parable that helps to deepen our moral awareness. So most of us, by the time we enter school, if not before, already know our society's common moral values, our shared morality. What is morality? Morality is the process of developing and exercising actions and decisions between what is considered good or proper and improper or bad based on values. And values are the things that our societies and our peers care about. Values are what matter most to us, and they motivate our behavior. They are our judgments about what is good or bad, desirable or undesirable, and are based on common ethics. All action that involves judgments about whether something is better or worse, good or bad, high quality or low quality, right or wrong, successful or unsuccessful, involves values in one form or another. Moral values motivate us in specific ways, and they are connected to human emotions, like the overarching love and concern parents feel regarding their children. Empathy for the suffering of others. Anger at those that threaten us or injustices we perceive. Our admiration for courage and compassion and our guilt and shame when we feel like we have acted contrary to our moral code. When we examine these feelings and emotions and how they motivate our judgments and decisions, 
We are exploring the moral values of our shared human experience, and we come to understand how they cause us to believe and to act on those values. Archibald McClesh says, religion is at its best when it makes us ha ask hard questions of ourselves. Socrates, remember him, believed that the most important thing in life was our moral character, and nobody could take that away unless we let them. From ancient Greece forward in Western thought, moral character and the exercise of it has been thought of as a very important to our spiritual growth. Our first Unitarian Universalist principle is the inherent worth and dignity of every person. The second involves justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. The third encourages us to grow spiritually and the fourth, to exert our energies in the search for truth and meaning. These are our basic moral values that underpin our shared Unitarian Universalist covenant with each other. Besides the moral values that I have mentioned, what are some others that we all share? Can we agree that forgiveness is a highly thought of? moral value? What are those lines in Matthew? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's the Lord's Prayer. And from John, all of us have done things that probably needed forgiveness. After all, who among us is without blame? On the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, known as the days of repentance or awe, every year in the fall, Jews try to make amends or peace with anyone they have wronged, slighted, harmed, or just neglected. The spiritual practice is to search for their lives for those moments when they did not live up to their moral standards, to own their mistakes, their failures to, their failures to live their values. The point is not to feel better but to honestly examine behavior. The goal is truth for its own redemptive sake. I did this. I said this to you, and it was wrong. I neglected this. I botched this. I betrayed you. I demeaned you. Where, whether you knew it or not, This is the truth that all of us are living. We all have scars and sore spots from the hurtful things we have experienced at the hands of others. 
We all have said hurtful things and caused pain to others. Some are epic. Some are more ordinary. Like a friend not keeping your confidence. Sharp words between mates. Forgetting an important engagement. Judging too quickly with no, without knowing all the facts. Bad driving. We all have probably wronged someone and wish to be forgiven. I would guess that most of us have experienced the injustice of being wronged. But what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is an action. It's intentional. It's voluntary. And it is work. The benefits of forgiveness have been extolled in religious thought. The social sciences study the benefits of forgiveness for our communities. There are ample studies in medical literature about the positive physical outcomes from a forgiving nature. And there are three possible aspects to forgiveness. Forgiveness may, be may, forgiveness may be considered in terms of the person who forgives, including forgiving oneself. Also in terms of the person being forgiven and in the relationship between the forgiver and the person being forgiven. Forgiveness is usually granted without any expectation of restorative justice. It can be granted without any response on the part of the offender, such as someone who has died. Usually, though, in order for the wronged person to believe themselves able to forgive, the offender must offer some form of an apology acknowledgement or request for forgiveness. And over time, the victim's feelings change in response to the offense. Feelings of revenge may pass. Maybe a punishment is still wished for. And it might change into a need of compensation of some kind maybe into a need of an apology, and eventually into a feeling of letting go. And at last, maybe, just maybe, wishing the wrongdoer well. Forgiveness is different from condoning, which is failing to see the action as wrong and in need of forgiveness. It is also not excusing the offender from responsibility for the action. It's also not just forgetting. That's one of my favorite strategies. There are other notions that are related to forgiveness, like mercy and pity and compassion. And forgiveness responds to those emotions. Forgiveness can transform anger into reconciliation and peace, and it can prevent revenge.
who knew forgiveness was so complicated? It is hard. Mother Teresa says, if we really want to love, then we must learn how to forgive. So, how do you forgive? How is it done? After researching forgiveness, I am not sure that I have really done a good job of forgiving in my life. And how, how can I learn to accomplish it? Well, guess what? There are national institutes that study forgiveness, like the International Forgiveness Institute and the Institute for Forgiveness and Reconciliation. There are also annual conferences put on by universities like Gonzaga and Stanford, exploring the emerging research on forgiveness. I even stumbled on a 20-step forgiveness process with four distinct phases that a forgiver generally passes through on the way to forgiving. Let's take Aesop's fable regarding the lion and the mouse. A mouse trips over the lion's table, tail and disturbs him. The lion resists the urge to eat the mouse because the mouse has furiously apologized. Using the four phases of the 20-step approach, let's analyze the fable. In the uncovering phase, the lion's tail is injured and the injury is acknowledged. In the decision phase, should the lion retaliate? What is the action that the lion will take? The lion was enjoying the day. It will take some work to catch the tiny mouse and eat him. During the work phase, the lion comes to understand that the mouse did not intend to hurt and was remorseful. And after all, the lion's tail was in the middle of the path. And lastly comes the outcome or deepening phase where the lion decides he does not need to eat the mouse. The lion's feelings were not really injured and he could show mercy. The mouse apologized, so the lion lets the mouse go and returns to the enjoyment of the day. Now imagine you going through the process of asking for forgiveness for all the missteps, betrayals, and neglect that you have inflicted on others in your life. How many doors would you have to knock on? How many phone calls would you have to make? Think of the awkward moments with your family members and your siblings as you ask for their forgiveness. If you were going to ask for forgiveness from all the people you had injured, could you remember the names of all the clerks and telemarketers and strangers you touched? Can you imagine others doing the same thing, preparing to speak to you, to write to you, to ask you a hard question? Finally, you answer the door or the phone or open the letter. It is there what you have been longing for, but really have dreaded. Someone is asking you for forgiveness. You now have a choice. 
do the hard work, stretch yourself, explore your anger, feel your pain, let go of the deep negative feelings around the injustice. Do not let it define you. Let go of the ideas of vengeance, more toward empathy and compassion. Allow peace and relief from the anger to flow into your life. I mentioned the Irish Troubles at the beginning. Some of you remember the rhetoric and the bombings, which were all on the news at the time. It felt insolvable. With a history of over 400 years of not forgiving, of wishing for and seeking revenge, can you imagine the hard, negative emotions that drove the recent 30 years of strife? There has been peace now for 20 years. What stage of forgiveness do you think the parties are in? How long do you think it might take for forgiveness to be complete? When I met Simon Wiesenthal and the Holocaust, what would you have done in his situation? Can you imagine what the limits of forgiveness are? And how can the forgiveness process work for such a horrific injury? It is important to remember what forgiveness is not. And this is where I always hit a snag because I really did not understand what forgiveness is and what it is not. Experts who study or teach forgiveness, forgiveness can make clear that when you forgive, you do not gloss over or deny the seriousness of the offense against you. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting, nor does it mean condoning or excusing. Forgiveness does not repair trust. Forgiveness can help mend a damaged relationship, but it doesn't obligate you to reconcile with the person who harmed you or release them from legal accountability or even concede that they deserve forgiveness. This is where I always had it wrong. I thought I could not forgive because it meant that I had to reconcile with my wrongdoer and concede that they deserve forgiveness. I also thought it required me to trust them again. Forgiveness doesn't require this. Instead, forgiveness brings the forgiver peace of mind and frees him or her from corrosive anger. It can empower you to recognize the pain you suffered without letting that pain define you enabling you to heal and move on with your life. Socrates also said, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Let us open our hearts 
to forgive others and hope for them well-being and joy, that they be lifted from worry and burden into peace and abundance. May we all be blessed with riches of the Spirit and moment upon moment of peace and serenity. And so, in closing, I apologize to you if I have wronged you. I hope you will forgive me. May we be open enough to consider the sacred choices we make each minute, each hour, each day that add up to a lifetime. Let us become aware that here is the place to be forgiven and to forgive ourselves for any past thoughts and actions. Here is a place to begin again with love. Blessed be.